Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Out of Left Field. We are podcasting from the Gulag Archipelago of Soviet Kanukistan, otherwise known as beautiful Vancouver Island. As always, I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts, producer Ben. Recording for duty, folks. And Mackenzie. Oh. And we're coming at you live, well... Well, not live, I suppose, you know, given the latency of the whole podcasting thing. But we are coming at you from several days in the past. I'd like to start off by giving a quick shout out to our uh, new patrons of the show. We recently updated all of our tiers and goals on Patreon. If you haven't checked it out, head up uh, patreon.com slash out of left field podcast to get the lowdown on the latest ways in which you can support us um and we just hit our most recent goal or lasted uh seemingly past the 100 dollars a month mark um very much with your help and are holding ourselves to the standard of releasing more regular hop takes episodes as a result of getting there so we are coming at you with a very special hop takes we've got a number of topics to discuss but maybe uh first we should all Raise a glass and toast to um, the most recent round of fuckery. Gents? Cheers! Yeah. Our <laughs> first topic is the BC election. That recently went down, the NDP coming through with a decisive majority. I think I might live in one of the last bastions of green on the island amidst the swaths of orange although i am in sonia first and i was riding now and so i guess that was to be expected she's a popular incumbent but what do you guys make of the uh the election and how it all went down was it pretty much as expected it was one of the least interesting elections i think i've ever seen <laughs> oh wow! Don't get too excited, Mac. Jesus Christ! Well, I I think it's 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 like the election is relevant. Like it it matters, and there's a lot to say about it from the standpoint of like the period we live in. But if we're talking about like elections as sort of a, a battleground of ideas and things happen, there wasn't a lot of that. At the end of the day, the NDP came into this race in the lead. They won in a fairly unsurprising way. Uh, None of the other parties had anything to say that they weren't saying a year ago. Um, Yeah. Well, that's not entirely true. Um, The the Green Party did come, or at least First Now did come out in support of uh, an albeit very lukewarm um, endorsement of a four-day working week, which is something that uh, I think uh, should be more commonly discussed in the political zeitgeist that we live in so i was uh, happy to at least have that brought yeah, up yeah and i hope that she discusses it with some critical experts real soon because as ian bushfield pointed out on our last episode pre-bc election it's a pretty milk toast program for actually implementing a four-day work week. sure you might as well just say like we're gonna we're gonna cut people's wages by one-fifth like yeah, it, yeah. It, it, you're it, welcome you're welcome here's, here's free time 
that totally that's the problem people have right now not enough free time but mac we're getting like 500 or for some households a thousand bucks a thousand bucks ain't nothing to balk at right surely that counts as an election win yeah it's great a thousand dollars is nice that's nice um i don't know like yeah is everyone getting a thousand bucks no I think it's 500, but like up to a thousand per household. I'm unclear yes. on the, the details about that. It was, I think it's 500 per person and a thousand basically if you have more than one person. That's it. So what do we make of that? Is that just literally buying the election? Uh, I think it is, but I don't care because it's money in my pocket. So, well, they didn't need to buy the election, right? Like this isn't like the liberals with cutting the sales tax. Like they weren't desperately grasping at straws there that was just sort of something horgan added in to sort of you know sweeten the deal a bit <laughs> yeah yeah to a great extent they were able to just ride on their own coattails through the election of having been responsible stewards through the covid19 pandemic and and you know generally having handled things pretty well so we all kind of knew that that's how it was going to go down yeah, I mean, I would I would actually just like to give a quick shout out to uh, Christo Aviles. I'm sure I butchered his name, as I often do with people's names on the show, but uh, <laughs> Max giving me a thumbs up. Um, anyway, he's a popular um, Canadian lefty political YouTuber. And um, anyway, he, he wrote a great article shortly after the election titled After John Horgan Smashing BC NDP Victory, Now is the Time to Be Bold. If Horgan seizes this opportunity... He could be a Tommy Douglas for the 21st century. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic take on everything. And basically, uh, I mean, the, you know, too long didn't read TLDR is that, you know, this is the BCNDP's opportunity to really make some big changes and be a, you know, shining beacon on the hill uh, as, as a great example uh, for, for other governments around, you know, North America and, and the world to follow because, we're seeing um, crushing, you know, uh, obviously in the middle of COVID, you know, people's just lives are fucking ruined right now. The economy's in the toilet. And um, I, I think that it's only reasonable to expect that there's going to be crushing austerity in the coming years to try to, you know, balance the books, as they say. And um, <clears throat> Horgan's in a position where he could he could go against that trend and he could actually expand, um, you know, healthcare and expand, um, you know, social programs in British Columbia, you know, thinking about, um, obviously, you know, COVID has been on everyone's mind and it kind of made me think that, you know, we, we don't have universal healthcare in Canada and we never have. Um, we have, uh, you know, basic healthcare covered, which is great. And I, you know, it's the, the system's, very disorganized and and kind of a patchwork quilt of, of overlapping health authorities across the country. But we don't have dental care. We don't have uh, pharmacare. We don't have physio. We don't have all these things that uh, long-term care facilities, you know, uh, many of which are private. Um, you know, there are so many gaps in our healthcare system uh, that could be filled. And I think that the NDP is in a position right now where they they could do that. Uh, I don't think they will, uh, but they could. And I would very much like to, to see that come out of, uh, of, of, of Horgan's government. And, you know, this is an opportunity now that the greens are basically out of the picture. Um, we're going to see the NDP's BC NDP's 
true colors um and you know in the in the years to come yeah, yeah that, that that's great but come on they're not <laughs> come uh, yes I, I, I john horgan being this generation's tommy douglas i think is a bit naive uh <laughs> to say the least sure but i want it to happen so fine but like i also want a lot of things to happen this year and almost none of them did so it's yeah. a, it's a bit pleading. It's aspirational. I get it, but isn't it a bit like asking John Lennon to get back with the Beatles? Like we're all gonna go back to the good old days where we could remember the Tommy Douglases and you know the Dave Barretts and a totally different NDP for a different era. And you know I I can't really envision John Horgan as that kind of rock star persona. I don't know if that Beatles reference actually makes sense. I don't really listen to the Beatles. So. We get your point. I don't know any, who the Beatles are that well, to be honest. I vaguely understand that there were four of them and all of that, and a couple of them are still alive. That's <laughs> I don't like them. Never did. Don't and be honest with you. Don't like the Beatles. I don't know. I think some of their songs are okay, I guess. They're on the radio. But anyway, the... Uh, <laughs> That's the most we can say about them. Is that- uh, come on. It's, it, talking, about, talking about the BCNDP government this way is like Cascadia-level nonsense at a certain point. Like, it's fine to say, like, it would be really nice if they did. But to be honest, they won't. And there are real reasons why they won't. Like, for one thing, John Horgan is not... John Horgan doesn't believe that this province needs pharmacare in the way that you and I think it does. Like he actually just doesn't think that that's an important thing to fight for. Like it's, it's just not something that has to be fought for and frankly probably should just be avoided indefinitely. And I could add on to that list a whole bunch of things when it comes to, uh, you know, fentanyl deaths, housing crisis. There's a shitload of stuff that this province has been facing for, the whole BC NDP government and they haven't done anything about because there have been more important things as far as they're concerned to do. And that's like, you you can sit there being confused as to like, but they say they're left wing and they say they care about people. And if you were to ask John Horgan in person, he'd probably be like, yeah, pharmacare is a good idea. Yeah. Dental care is a good idea. That is something we should do, but then it just doesn't happen. And I guess I think that, I think people need to kind of, you know, uh, look at reality a little bit more and try to reckon with it. Like you've got to be able to wrap your head around the fact that this is a government that probably isn't going to do anything spectacular ever at all. They're going to just sit in power for as long as they can. And that's their plan. Like, that's it. They just, they just want to be, they, they want to keep the liberals out, which is, you know, fair enough, but that's it. There, there is no vision there. It's just sort of a, you know, stewardship in a sense. And that's a very good point. If that could tell us a little bit about how this, um, the next four years might go for the NDP. I, I'm kind of afraid that the extent to which they've set themselves up as the responsible stewards through the pandemic and yada, yada, yada might set them up to, um, for a severe blowback if other parties will hold their feet to the fire on the economics of the pandemic recovery. So if they get um, held to being the ones who have to balance the books and pay the debts, I think that the NDP that we have today could easily uh, buckle to that kind of pressure and implement harsh policies of austerity for all the great expectations that we have of them or may have of them right now. You know, um, 
there's they're 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 not the they're not the workers party of of yesteryear and you can only um point the finger at the greens for so much of the kind of corporatist influence that we've seen in um in the past three and a half years in in bc politics so um yeah i don't know i'm i'm kind of not exactly of two minds. I'm not expecting extraordinary things. I'm just trying to be sober and realistic. But, uh, you know, I'll raise my glass and take a sip of whiskey anyway. Well, you know, um, Mac, you mentioned that they, you know, their chief objective is to stay in power like any political party. What a great way to do that uh, would be by, I don't know, implementing really good policies and social programs that people want and need uh and like uh like dental care for example i'm not i'm not delusional nor am i i mean maybe i'm a little naive but uh uh, i i I agree with you that both of you that you know obviously the ndp isn't the the radical party of yesteryear but i think if they want to stay in power then they better fucking do something good i i at the very least I want to see card check implemented. Um, this is super easy to do. Um, I think that they would um, they would um, attract the uh, the the ire uh, the hatred of, of of the business community by doing that. But the business community fucking hates them anyway. So who cares? Um, I, I that that would be a precedent setting and like just groundbreaking achievement uh, for for labor laws uh, uh, here in BC and and uh, in all of North America. That I just want that. Uh, if if they just do that, I'll be happy. But I mean, moreover, um, I as you know, listeners to the pod will will remember that uh, I'm I'm very um, incensed by their uh, cl- fucking carbon bomb liquid natural gas uh, p- project up north. But you know what? If they're going to do that, and they will, uh, you know, they're 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 stubbornly uh, uh, committed to doing this fucking stupid project. Um, you know, if if they are going to do it, and they will, then I kind of you know expect something back from that. Like I can only reasonably expect that the government is going to make a shit ton of money from that project. So hey, why don't you invest that into like social programs or something good? I don't know. I I feel like. If if they're gonna fucking stab their you know the environmentalists and a lot of their voters in the back with this project, then we ought to get something from it. Um, I know that's not how politics works, but that's how I think. Mac, I see you uh, laughing and ridicule at me. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you you said it right there. I know that's not how politics works. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Is that you? you it's kind of like it's kind of like lying to talk about the NDP like this. I don't know what, if there's a better word for, for what this is, but it's like saying, I know it's not true, and I know it won't happen, but I'd like to talk as if it does, it would happen, and then just sort of, like, like what, other, other people who don't know or don't, don't really understand where the BCNDP is at will believe you? Like, people will read this article or listen to you and be like, you know, maybe they will do card check. Maybe they will. Like, that would be a pretty good idea. And it's like, yeah, that would. It'd be, they might. I mean, it's unlikely. But the, the thing is, is like, I'd say broadly speaking, the BCNDP isn't going to do any hard left stuff because, A, they don't need to, like, at all right now. They don't need to for four years, really. I mean, that's why you do an election like this, so you don't have to do anything uh, for a long time. Uh, and two, there are going to be real economic pressures put upon 
British Columbia very soon, like within those four years. And the BC NDP has, has done nothing in its, in its, in like my lifetime, really, that would suggest that they will do anything but completely capitulate to the demands of austerity and capital. Like there is nothing to suggest they would do otherwise. And I, that's why I say like when push comes to shove, they will, uh, they will implement the sort of austerity that will get them kicked out of power. Because at the end of the day, I think that the, that John Horgan and a lot of the leadership of the BC NDP don't see themselves as promoters of social democracy, but stewards of the general goodwill. And they're sort of a, like, they're, they're parliamentarians. They're, their job is to implement the reasonable policies that keep everything kind of working together for a better British Columbia for tomorrow. The idea that they're, the re, like the reason I would say implementing card check is a good idea is because it helps form unions and unions help fight against bosses. The, that is a very different attitude to, well, you know, the bosses and the workers and small businesses all need to be able to come together and we, you know, through good policy making, we can ensure that everybody progresses in a better tomorrow is the way all of these parties really think. Now, the, the way where that line comes in and where the compromises happen are radically different in some cases, but practically speaking, they all end up kind of doing the same sort of policies because they're following the same kind of political philosophy, which is that their job is to be the stewards of British Columbia and British Columbia is, is, you know, run by businesses and people who have businesses have a lot of money and yeah, workers shouldn't be unhappy, but frankly, you know, that idea over the last, I don't know, what, what do you want to say, like 40, 50 years now has resulted in a larger and larger concentration of wealth and fewer and fewer hands. And that just, accelerates the problem because those are the people you listen to anyway, the people with money, because they're the ones who can essentially using that money legitimize their political views. And that just causes this to continue on. So if like the BC NDP looks out, looks, looks around itself to the people it can see, it doesn't see millions of workers. It sees, you know, uh, 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 you know, business owner dinners, Donor dinners, uh, you know, uh, business associations, that sort of thing. Large companies, that uh, uh, NGOs, but that's it. Like, it just sees the sort of people, uh, you know, to, to be seen in politics, you need money, which everyone sort of agrees on. But the consequence of that is that the only people they're really even that well aware of are the kind of people that I think we, as socialists, broadly disagree with which means that their situation in the legislature is one where they're completely surrounded by a political philosophy that is frankly like anti-worker, which would be fine. Like we all, like I'd say most people are aware of that. It would be fine if the, if the BC NDP leadership was good and they had a decent political philosophy that allowed them to kind of like work within that so that they wouldn't just be swept away by uh, sort of the way capitalism works. But that is the history of social democracy at this point, being swept away by the needs of capital. 
And it's I think that it's just, that's what's going to happen. Come on. We've seen this before. We've seen this movie before. It's always been, you know, you say it's the history of social democracy today. It's, it was, it's always been the history of social democracy. Um, and, and I absolutely agree with you, Mac. You know, the reason that I think something like carjack is a good policy is because it empowers the workers. And, you know, that de facto takes power away from the government. That kind of democratization is something that the NDP in power, the kind of power they have now, I wouldn't really expect them to implement it. I don't think they will precisely for the reason that I think it's good, which is because it it makes their position in power more precarious. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, whatever um, maybe uh, naive projections I I was placing onto the BCNDP uh, for the last three and a half years were um, given a a bit of a wake up call when they started antagonizing the teachers union, um, when they, you know, started demanding smaller class sizes and whatnot. And, you know, of course, I was like, what the fuck are you antagonizing the teachers unions for? Like when the liberals were in power, you were, you know, like they're, they're cheer cheerleaders. And now that you are the ones that are like administering the government, all of a sudden they're your enemy. Like what the fuck? So that was, that that was definitely a bit of a, a wake up call for me. Definitely le- le- left a bad taste in my mouth to be sure. Well, yeah, and empowering the unions can lead to a more kind of agitational style of democracy, which is one that, you know, holds the the NDP in power to account from a more grassroots and worker-based level rather than through the mediation of NGOs and uh, and parliamentarians and different um, channels through the for the um, exchange of capital and all this kind of thing. And You know, I think it's easy for us to get carried away with this thought that, you know, we have quite probably the most left-leaning government in North America at this point. But that's not saying a whole hell of a lot. Like, we're in a particularly dark and reactionary moment. You know, just look uh, south of the border for a real stark comparison. And I'm afraid to say that in John Horgan, we've got a bit more of a Biden than a Bernie. You know, he may not be quite as skeletal and grotesque, but he's got about three quarters of the charm. Um, So, you know, is. That an awkward segue into talking about what's going on in the in the U.S. election, and do we even want to touch American politics with a ten and a half foot pole? I don't think we've actually talked about it for quite a while now. Uh, it tends to end up being the last thing on our list, and so we end up skipping it a lot. For which I don't think is terrible. Uh, <laughs> To be honest, well, I mean, there's plenty of uh, people talking about the <laughs> the U.S. election right now. Um, I I actually want to take this opportunity to um, issue a a bit of a correction to a a, a previous episode that we did when uh, we recorded our um, BC election special with Ian Bushfield. I announced that uh, we were podcasting from the Gulag Archipelago of Soviet Kanakistan. And I'm afraid uh, that was a lie. I have, I was actually and currently am podcasting from a inhospitable dystopian hellscape that some refer to as the Greater Phoenix area uh, of Arizona. And you, some of you, some of you might be wondering what kind of psychotic fucking idiot would I have to be to go to 
Plague Nation during the middle of COVID. Uh, well, let me tell you, folks, uh, love can make uh, you do some crazy things. So uh, I'm I'm a married man now. Uh, very happy about that. And I am getting the fuck out of this country like two days before the election. When but at what cost? Shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks, man. Your loving time of coronavirus epic has go- is going to get us canceled both for being Beatles haters and for being fake news. So I'm real happy for you. I don't yeah, hate we, the Beatles. I just don't care about them. And as far as Arizona goes, I don't know. It's probably nice. No, it's I. I it is. It is an inhospitable desert. Um, but you know, we had we had really cute little um, wedding masks. We had like a bride and a groom face mask for for COVID, and uh, that that was kind of cool. So actually, you know, Arizona has been doing pretty good for COVID. Um, they they were like by far the worst state for uh, a few months and. Um, they implemented a, a mask mandate uh, a few months ago, and it's actually been doing, you know, their numbers are way down, which is the only fucking reason I even considered coming here at all. But um, yeah, my wife's um, dad actually works in healthcare, and, you know, over the last, they, they're like running out of COVID patients. You know, they, they got hit super hard initially, and it hasn't really, you know, it's kind of been winding down. Um, one thing I find kind of weird about um, America is that, I mean, a lot of things, but, um, you know, they have a, in addition to uh, the presidential race, they also have a, a Senate race. And in this country, they do these weird referendum proposition vote things where, like, instead of the governing party just governing, they, like, put things What's up What's that called vote. again? Is that direct ballot propositions or, or I don't know. There are so many things about this strange, exotic foreign nation that I'll never understand. That, that's um, one thing I actually like. Do tell us about it. Well, um, I, I don't really understand what is, like, what goes to a ballot proposition and what doesn't and under what circumstances it does or doesn't. Right now, Arizona is on the cusp of le- legalizing weed, but... One, uh, one weird thing is that on all of the campaign signs, like they have a bunch of people running for Senate and, and down ballot races, as they call them, quote unquote. And um, what's really weird is that on their campaign signs, they don't indicate their party affiliation. Like they'll be like, oh, I'm I'm John Smith. I'm running for Senate. Like f- for what party? Like it doesn't indicate that anywhere, which is very foreign to me because in Canada, the party affiliation is like by far the most obvious indicator on campaign signs. And I just find that a bit weird. Um, although, although I don't know if this is a direct comparison because I don't know all of the relative compar- the relevant comparisons between uh, U.S. and Canadian constitutional democracy. But our senators are in theory independent, even if they're each, you know, appointed by one or the other of the two main ruling parties. The Senate. If you got to go to the Senate to like make a point about how Canadian politics works, then you. I think you've already lost the plot there, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I have a very. Um, I, I. Enough time has passed that I have a very dire election prediction for the United States. Um, my my prediction is, and I'm basically just going off of what President Trump and the people around him have been saying out loud for like the last two fucking months. But I suspect that they'll probably like Biden voters overwhelmingly are voting by mail. 
Trump supporters are overwhelmingly voting in person. I think that it will show Trump in the lead on election night and they will try to uh, invalidate or discredit or otherwise ignore all of the mail-in ballots that come in afterwards. They, I would, I would suspect that uh, they will, they will do everything they possibly can to tr- try to call it on election night, as Trump has said himself on Twitter. Um, and uh, I think it'll go to the Supreme Court, and uh, they'll, they'll give it to Trump. Um, so I think it'll be like the Florida 2000 uh, election, except with every single goddamn state. That's my prediction. That, that could happen. I mean, the good news about that is that there won't be any civil war because the Democrats are a bunch of gutless fucking cowards. So nothing will actually that, happen. That is, that is true. Yeah. So, true, you know, true, it'll true be story. like, you know, democracy will have been destroyed. But, you know, you have to this is the legal system we have for determining elections. So it's legit. Oh, in fact, democracy will have been upheld. So, yeah. You know, the, the, the election was a sham, but the democratic process worked. That'll basically be, and then it'll be like, you know, maybe we should try to impeach Trump again or something. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the Democrats are the most fucking useless people in the in the world. Because, I mean, if that does happen, I mean, if, if, if it goes to the Supreme Court and they, they basically just steal it right in broad daylight, uh, right from out, underneath everyone's noses, you know, I think the, the worst we're going to get from the Democrats is, how dare you, sir? How dare you? This is this is undemocratic. And he'll be like, yeah, it is. Fuck you. <laughs> there, was, there was like a leak from some fucking DNC backed war games scenario that you sent to our chat. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I'm yeah, fuzzy yeah. on the details of it. But didn't the Democrats run through a scenario where exactly the situation that you're describing happened and they they floated themselves not recognizing the election results and taking this all the way to the top levels of the court. And, you know, I loved it because not only is it proper tinfoil hat stuff, but it's such a great example of projection, you know, all of the kind of American liberals rallying around the belief that Trump is not going to recognize his inevitable loss in the election. You know, some recent polls too have been showing the numbers between Biden and Trump, uh, is a lot closer. Biden only leading by you know seven, four to seven percent, and yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound the alarm yet, but definitely the this is something that our listeners down south should be prepared for. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if Joe Biden gets a seven percent lead, it will be kind of a frankly crushing victory, uh, and even the efforts of whatever i mean my assumption here is that the republican party with or without donald trump is preparing legal teams in select states where they think it'll be close in the event kind of like florida like that like florida wasn't a plan it was more just like prepare for an eventuality like if it's close and it looks like florida could be the tipping point and florida is incredibly close let's have legal teams there ready to go so that we can try to like you know take it to the courts and solve this in a way we think we can we can control the spin of i don't doubt that there are republicans like lawyers and party officials or whatever doing that in a bunch of select states but the problem is is like you have to you have to look at the situation and try to figure out where would you want to do that at this point and it's kind of hard to like if if the election goes basically the way the polls are suggesting it doesn't matter if Trump steals Florida or Ohio 
or Pennsylvania, but he basically has to try to steal them all <laughs> and a bunch of others too. Um, and it's kind of like, like how, how he would have to be very lucky, luckier than even last time to win the election if the polls remain true. And one of the other problems is that by and large, the polling suggests that the gap over the last, since September has been widening, like overall, like they were actually fairly close to each other a few months ago or yeah, a month ago, I guess. Uh, and, and now it's looking less and less, uh, less and less plausible, I guess is the, the thing like it could happen I, I suppose like Trump could get close enough and he could even win like he's not he's not going after the popular vote obviously because who gives a shit about that it's not how America's elections work uh, <laughs> but uh yeah I, I just don't I I guess my prediction for the election is that uh Joseph Biden uh wins fairly early on in the evening um and then the rest of the evening is just sort of a, a weird back and forth between the two parties over, you know, like it'll be a lot of arguments between Fox News and CNN, at which point it was legitimate for them to call the election for Joe Biden. And I, I don't think it's going to be close enough that it's going to matter that much. Like it might be weeks of bullshit, but it's going to be like, yeah, it, he, he won. Like Trump lost. I don't know. Was that Joseph Biden a shout back to when Biden was young and had a really studly mustache and was writing shittily worded articles on the national question? Yeah, when he had a thick, full head of hair and was, you know, full of vim and vigor and, you know, a, a man with a, a, a future ahead of him as opposed to who he is now with a man with nothing ahead of him. That would be the Biden that America deserves. I mean, for all the uh, Trump supporters who are lambasting him as a communist or, uh, or socialist of some type. Good God. You know, uh, a Biden administration in power is just going to be doing most of the same things that the Obama administration already did and that the Trump administration is currently doing, but with a real good shit-eating smile and saying all the right things at the same time. At least with Trump, you get to call a spade a spade. Yeah, but it's just the, the problem is, is from just like the margins for Joe Biden, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. But the margins for Joe Biden, the polling is actually putting him in a better position than Barack Obama <laughs> in either of the elections he won, <laughs> which is bizarre when you think about how unpopular Joe Biden is versus how popular Barack Obama was and still is. Uh, I do think that a lot of people fucking hate Donald Trump and I don't think that like he's, he's even as popular as he was four years ago. I don't think he's anywhere near that popular now. No, he's not. And, um, I think one of the things actually Jeremy Scahill, uh, with, um, the intercept on his, his podcast, probably my favorite podcast actually intercepted. Uh, released a multi-part series on the Trump presidency over the last few weeks, and it's actually probably probably some of the the best produced uh, podcasts that I've, I've ever heard. Um, one of the interesting things about it um, was that he mentioned that you know in twenty you know in, in, during the last election, Trump very much ran on this. Uh, outsider. He's going to shake up Washington. He's going to run things like a business. He's, he's going to stick it to the, you know, the, the deep state. And like he, he was, he was a, 
Um, Mac, I think you described him as uh, the, the, the American, the, the Republicans viewed him as a suicide bomber that they were going to send into the White House to just fuck up the establishment. And that's very much the image that he, you know, curated for himself. Uh, but given the fact that Donald Trump is one of the dumbest fucking people alive, uh, and his opinion on literally anything is the same as the last person that he talked to. He has been surrounded by all of these family values dipshits in, you know, like Mike Pence. And, you know, he, he's been steeped uh, in this Republican culture war bullshit over the last four years to the point where that's all he's talking about now, where he's, you know, he's he's uh, he, he's he's gotten wrapped up in, in just these classic dumbass fucking Republican talking points about, you know, religion, abortion, and taxes, and, and all this stuff, where he's basically at this point indistinguishable from any, you know, dumbass, dipshit, fucking idiot Republican that, that you could just, you know, f- throw a, 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 you know, R badge on and throw out in front of the cameras. And so he's really lost a lot of, you know, in addition to the utter shit show calamity uh, which has been coronavirus in the united states um you know he's a lot he's lost a, he's lost his sex appeal basically to the to the republican voters oh yeah no definitely i mean the 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 pounds he's put on it's it's really it's not helped him at all no i mean that is one way to look at it but another is to say that you know in a weird way he's actually been one of the most successful republican presidents uh, and that, you know, not only as he really delivered on what seems to be the core Republican strategy, which is, you know, when we're in power, we are going to ram as many legislators into the court as possible so that we can kind of control the structures of power without really being in power as such. Even when we get moved out, I mean, he's put three Supreme Court judges in now with the recent uh, nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Um but, you know, he's also succeeded in uniting such disparate wings of the of the Republican Party as the the, the Tea Party and the neocons and the Warhawks. Like they're all kind of coming together under his fragile influence. And, you know, I think it's very much a story of less Trump kind of being brought in from having been the outsider to the politics and to the Republican Party that he very much was back in 2016, but more so a story of the Republican Party kind of um, just forming itself around him. And so the longer term question about um, the the identity of the two parties going forward, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in how some of the uh, shifts in regional politics in this election might play out. Like I'm hearing that um, Texas, if Texas were to go to the Democrats, then they don't need California, so to speak. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether some of these um, different voting patterns and and red states flipping into blue states might signify longer term trends or whether they'll have been a one off. I think a lot of that will depend on how the how the Republican Party picks itself back up if Trump loses. I don't know. Is it? I um. I I guess I don't expect that scenario so much because I kind of expect Biden to win. But I'm trying to keep my expectation in check too. I I mean to to be fair, like less less about the election, but more just about the actual situation. 
uh, like politically, is yeah, D- Trump has been a successful Republican president. He put through the tax cuts. He he's you know he's appointed a bunch of judges that they want. Uh, that happened, and if he loses, let's be fair. If Donald Trump does lose then it will be entirely to, it'll be COVID to blame. It will not be his policies or his unpopularity or any of that, the stuff people have been mad at him about for four years. The Republican Party will just blame it on COVID. And hey, you know, what could you do, right? You know, that was going to happen. But at least Donald Trump did all- anything? (laughs) No, but I mean, from the standpoint of the Republican Party saying, you know, of course Donald Trump was going to lose, right? Like any, any president would lose- in this crisis that has happened and we could totally do nothing about. And so, yeah, all that remains are all the good policies from the Republican standpoint. They've all the policies that they wanted, all the judges that they wanted, all the, all the good stuff. And who, who comes in Joe Biden, a weak, uh, (laughs) doffering democratic president who won't last two terms, right? He's going to, Joe Biden's not going to be an eight year president. He's going to be gone in four years if he's not even dead before then. So, you know, on the whole, you could look at this as a pretty solid win for, for the Republicans, even if Donald Trump loses. And I think that there, that there's sort of a problem with talking a lot about American politics and that again, kind of like when we were talking about BC politics, there's sort of the reasonable thing to do. And then there's the stuff that the Republican party is probably going to do. Like it's re- it would be reasonable for the Dem- Republican Party at this point to just leave Trump out to die, uh, not support him at all in this election, and just sort of extricate themselves from the Trump brand in preparation for winning four years down the road. But, you know, you paint yourself into a corner and people do have egos and you have to sort of defend yourself even if you make a mistake. So while it might be reasonable to let Trump lose, they may just go to bat for him indefinitely anyhow. So, yeah, I I, I don't know what the Republican Party is going to do, but I think they've already won, even if they lose the election. Well, I don't I mean, I think that no matter who wins, whether it's Trump or Biden, everyone loses because Biden is by far the worst candidate the Democrats could have put forward. Um, he is was by far the most conservative out of all of the Democratic primary runners. I think that probably the best thing about the Trump presidency, if anything is good at all, is his utter incompetence, where his foreign policy, while in some ways, you know, uh, it was worse um, than Obama. You know, I, I he ramped up the he, he got even more aggressive with drone strikes and whatnot than Obama was, which is surprising a lot. But, you know, he didn't really care about foreign policy. You know, he just got bored. Like there were like numerous accounts of him being briefed on like certain situations about, you know, foreign co- operations in foreign countries and, you know, where he just got bored in order to milkshake and, or like just walked out of the room and stopped listening to people. And I think that was the best thing about the last four years is that, you know, what every time America gets involved in another country's affairs, a lot of fucking people seem to die. And, um, you know, that I think with some notable exceptions, like him pulling out of the World Health Organization and the tariffs and 
his just general antagonism towards other countries, you know, I think less America on the world stage benefits everyone. <clears throat> so I think that my, again, dire prediction, I think if Biden wins, uh, I think his foreign policy is actually probably going to be worse. Uh, I reckon uh, he, he would be enthusiastic about invading Venezuela uh, or being more aggressive. You know, um, I, I let's not forget that in, I think it was 2015, I want to say. Nope. I think it was 2009. Anyway, during um, Obama and, and Biden's administration, they backed a coup in Honduras. They overthrew a democratically elected left-wing government and he was replaced uh, with a fucking demagogue. I expect to see more of that if Biden's president. Okay, okay. Ten bucks says... Ten bucks says that Biden will move to discredit uh, the, the return to powder of Evo Morales' party in Bolivia faster yeah. than you can hand him a poison milkshake. Yeah. yeah. Oh, big time. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which. Speaking uh, of. <laughs> Evo Morales is, uh, well, not back, but probably will be pretty soon. The gang yeah, uh, is back. John Lennon's coming back, you guys. He's rejoining the Beatles uh, from wherever he's been in exile. Have you just been listening to the Beatles a lot lately? Is no, it just is? came up. I was telling you, man, I don't listen to the Beatles. You listen to some <laughs> other bands or something. Send me some music. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the court struck down the arrest warrant for Evo Morales. He will be returning to the country. Big ups to our boy Evo. Um, and by the looks of it, they are, you know, this is much like a real life tide. The pink tide of Latin America is uh, coming back towards the shore. Um, and I think that Bolivia, together with Argentina, Venezuela and Cuba uh, are reforming some of the alliances that were present uh, during the, I guess, early 2000s, uh, you know, during the those happy years in Latin America when it was just, you know, just left wing governments popping up left, right and center all over uh, the continent. Um, now they're back. And that's actually really exciting because, you know, when I when Brazil fell to the reactionaries and Bolivia fell to the fascists and, you know, one pink tide left wing government after another fell, you know, that was pretty demoralizing because I was putting a lot of, you know, a lot of my hopes and dreams and aspirations into that part of the world. And, you know, I was I was maybe uh, too cynical, uh, which is a hard thing to do in this day and age. But yeah, no, it's actually wonderful. Um, I think that for all of the shitting on electoralism that um, many people on the left have been doing in the wake of the defeats of Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn, um, you know what? All things considered, maybe electoralism isn't entirely a fuck. Well, I mean, it wasn't just the, the election. The, 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 the thing was that it turned out that the movement to socialism party was actually popular in Bolivia. Uh, you know, like that, that was, turns out, uh, weirdly enough, uh, yeah, that they were actually popular. And what's interesting to me about this whole fucking nonsense uh, is like, it, it, is 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 just the is the is the CIA just full of fucking idiots now? Like, what the fuck happened? Those guys, have, <laughs> like, there's got to be some really like serious meetings to. going on. Like, who fucked this up? I it's 
I mean, I'm very happy about the how screwed b- bad the CIA has been in my lifetime versus what I've read about the shit they've done in the past. But yeah, it just seems kind of like like America is not even able to do coups anymore that are not all, that are not also just a huge fucking embarrassment. Uh, Bolivia and Venezuela. I mean, Venezuela was way more ridiculous, but basically the exact same plot happened in both cases where it's like, yep, new leader, new president, total bullshit, you know, coup happens. And then just sort of no one, no one wants them. (laughs) Well, you know, um, in the most notorious period of Latin American history, insofar as American imperialism is concerned, you know, 1970s, 1980s, where you had these extremely brutally violent, um, you know, uh, regimes and fascist dictatorships, some, some of whom had literal Nazis in their governments, most notably Klaus Barbie in Bolivia, but also in Argentina and Chile as well. You know, a lot of uh, the Latin America was a, a popular des- destination for Nazis escaping Europe in the post-war period. But, you know, in these cases, you know, during the dirty war in Argentina, uh, during um, the, the cocaine coup in Bolivia and example after example, they didn't even pretend to try to be democratic. Like they were disappearing people. They were torturing people. They were um, crushing political dissidents. And I think that I might maybe I'm off base here, but it strikes me that the difference between then and now is that there's a lot more media spotlights. You know, there's a lot, like, we can actually just, like, log on to the internet and read about the elections in Bolivia, and we don't have to wait, uh, you know, days and weeks and months to for, for things, you know, news to travel, and it's a lot harder for governments to hide their crimes because when we have, you know, for example... When the student protesters and, and the anti-austerity protesters in in Chile are getting fucking beat up by police, that gets on Twitter and gets in the news like within minutes and people can see it. And so in the case of Bolivia, um, you know, there was all this, you know, manufactured nonsense about, oh, the movement towards socialism were meddling in the elections and it was Un, you know, they, they was, it was, they were, they were, they stole the election. As it turns out, that was all lies and they didn't. But there was this pressure on them to have another set of elections, which they kind of had to do. They couldn't just not do that. And as it turns out in Bolivia, the only way that you, you know, that the fascists or, or the, the reaction can win an election in that country is if they revoke the right, uh, the, the right to vote for indigenous people, because that's broadly overwhelmingly where the support for the movement towards socialism is. And so long as indigenous people in Bolivia have the right to vote, the the movement towards socialism is just going to keep winning. Um, Unless they just completely fucking cook the books on the election, which, again, it's harder to do in this day and age. Uh, Shout out to those protesters in Chile, by the way, for defeating at long last the Pinochet constitution implemented uh, by by Pinochet. Um, what, what, was, what was the, the year of the, the coup in Chile? 73. Thank you. Um, Im- implemented in 73, um, j- just under 50 years ago. That's, um, that's really bold and it's really inspiring to see the 
arguably the birthplace of neoliberalism being perhaps one of the first signs of neoliberalism's uh, long defeat, long coming defeat. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that uh, neoliberalism was, was born the moment that uh, Salvador Allende uh, killed himself with the AK-47 that Fidel Castro gifted him. Yeah, Chile was very much the testing grounds for what were they called the Chicago group or something of these like the the neoliberal economists who wanted to just absolutely crush the social safety net and social democracy and anything that resembled you know social programs or welfare for for working people they just wanted to wholesale get rid of it and crush it in the most ruthless and violent way possible and chile was the testing grounds for that um so yeah big ups to chile for getting rid of that finally was there anything else you guys wanted to chat about well i guess that the we we, we could dunk on elon musk we can always dunk on elon musk because very much related to the mass party coming back into power bolivia was the immediate plummeting of tesla stocks which was pretty fun to see. Which were too high. Yeah, which, which were too high. Of course they were too fucking I high. That, so I heard that somewhere. No like, more yeah, cheap lithium deposits for Elon Musk. Um, but that hasn't stopped him from um, putting the force in Space Force with his giant space gun laser ray thing. Guys, tell me about this. I haven't even read about this yet. What is the space gun that Elon It's a hypothetical <laughs> deployment system that will allow American Marines to be dropped from space to any country on Earth. Any country. Even a landlocked country, let's say. One that's perhaps... Uh, at a high altitude relative to the sea level, for <laughs> instance. Vacuum tube? Uh, you know, a, a country that perhaps has had a recent election that America is not particularly happy about. That's the sort of stuff Tesla's currently researching. And like all good Tesla products, it's not quite fit for human test trials yet. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's 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 funny how, how rapidly uh, Tesla kind of or I say Tesla, uh, how, how Elon Musk's programs all sort of uh, go from like these neat ideas of like, you know, a, a beautiful utopian future in which you can just step into a, you know, human, uh, you know, autopod and just be whisked away to a beautiful park somewhere. And that turns into like, you know, thousands of people losing their jobs. That's actually what it's about. Uh, and then it's like, you know, uh, we're going to colonize Mars and sort of explore the beauty of the universe. It's like, actually, no, it's basically just going to be a way of like dropping uh, ammunition to isolated, you know, uh, like fascist militants in the middle of the South, South American jungles. Like that's what it's going to be for. Uh, it, 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 it's just like, yeah, he's, he's, he, he Elon Musk is kind of like this nice little center point of, of, of uh, I guess, American innovation in the 21st century and what that actually looks like. This is literally like the, the techno fix rescuing of the boys soccer team from that cave uh, version of American imperialism. Yeah, the mini, the mini subs that it turns out all they can do is just make people pedophiles or whatever the fuck happened there <laughs> you know i just <laughs> don't understand what happened why he did that why he said that it's so stupid you know i i i gotta point this out um in the date like he really 
this was so fucking obvious stupid uh it, it didn't take him hardly any time at all like after the movement towards socialism won uh the election in bolivia in a, in a landslide on the first ballot um like the the ink was barely dry on the new government when elon musk comes out and says that he promises to reinvent batteries as tesla reports record quarter three solar and storage deployments so as if he couldn't be any less obvious about like it's you know it's there's never been any connection like direct connection proven um to the coup in bolivia to elon musk other than what he said himself on twitter that he can no he said we will cool whoever we want yeah like, but come on that's the that's 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 big talk for a man who can't even fucking get his any of his products to fucking make money i find it absolutely amazing how he hasn't been exposed as a total fucking fraud like almost i think maybe with the singular exception of paypal not a single one of his quote-unquote inventions has ever worked he has nothing to do with tesla he did not found tesla he bought the title co-founder of tesla from someone else he didn't contribute anything to spacex he's not a fucking rocket scientist other than maybe think of that cool idea to launch a car into space um his idea for solar panel roof shingles while cool never worked even though he got like shitloads of money from the uh, government subsidies to do it uh his hyperloop is a idiotic b stupid c didn't work d uh ended up uh he, he ended up just turning that into like a normal tunnel which is like insanely unsafe um you know every single one of his projects is a fucking failure. And Not to mention just, the bulletproof truck. The bulletproof. Oh my god, that was a good uh, one. That, that one was, I didn't expect, but that was, that was, that was good. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and the, you know, I I think also to the surprise of no one um he you know he's not a self-made billionaire that you know many people make him out to be as if there is such a thing uh he inherited the fortune of his family's emerald mine uh from apartheid south africa a country which to my knowledge he has never returned to since 1991 um the man is a fucking fraud and a short-tempered idiot and i don't understand how so many people fucking worship him it just boggles my, my mind, mind. Oh, well he, my he's God. the very model of the modern american entrepreneur which is a venture capitalist that doesn't add anything into production and whose only uh, semblance of innovation is in the field of finance capital uh, you know, in don't, buying don't, speculative don't, stock options. Don't you see what this means? Why buy a, 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 a celebrity billionaire who actually doesn't have any money, whose every single innovation is, fails and goes bankrupt, who's just dogged by corruption and stupid statements on Twitter. D- Elon Musk is going to run for the Republican Party in 2024. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> oh my god. It all it all becomes clear to me now. That's where we're heading. This is he's going to be president in 4 years. 